Hello and welcome again to another episode of our program, Develop. It is our joy and honor to have your company with us as we continue our exploration of this new series, our third session uh, this time, uh, which we've titled God Commands the Blessing. God Commands the Blessing. And over the last couple of sessions, we spoke about God's heart to bless His people. He wants to bless His people so they can be a blessing to others, not creating spoiled brats and self-centered believers. He wants us to be in with a blessing from above that will live the blessed life that would bless all the families of the earth around us. It's a dream that God had from the beginning. He lavished that promise over Abraham. He, he blessed the Israelites with the blessing of uh, having his company with them to bless them. Uh, he, we are blessed in every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And he wants to be gracious. He longs to be gracious to us and bless us abundantly so that we may abound in every every good deed. Uh, we looked uh, at the start of last session at uh, four different aspects, four different dimensions of that blessed life. We mentioned that those are both uh, conditions to be blessed as well as uh, more like signs of being blessed. So they are uh, means and ends in themselves. We mentioned the first one last time is the lighting in the king. Uh, that's in itself a condition so that we could live the blessed life, but that's a sign that we're living the blessed life. The second one that we focus on today is deepening the unity amongst God's people, that we have a united experience, a loving relationship with God's people. And uh, I don't know about you, but it seems to me that we all experience barriers when we begin to think about unity with other people, whether that's in the church, in the workplace, or whenever there is a group of uh, diverse personalities, different backgrounds, different experiences, the idea of unity doesn't come naturally to us. Uh, we are so uh, focused on our differences uh, that in our commonality gets, you know, a little bit blurred. If you think about some of the barriers that stop us from uh, deepening our unity with other believers, uh, you probably can come up with an endless list or an endless list of reasons. I'm going to pick three categories that I believe have uh, undermined our pursuit of unity because unity is a journey. It's not something that we, uh, you know, manufacture in two minutes. It's something that we spend our lifetime uh, working on and developing over time. And the first one is uh, unity uh, compels us to think of others around us, compels us to uh, be considerate and sensitive to others and, 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 and have uh, almost like uh, make room for them in our lives. But uh, lack of unity, if I'm just on my own, doing my own thing, I feel free. I feel independent dependent of others. I don't feel dragged down by having to make room in my diary for, for catch-ups or interactions or whatever it might be. I feel free to be 
what I want to be. No expectations, uh, no obligations. It's like I can do what I want as long as I don't hurt anybody else. You know, I'm going for it. And I become a very independent person, whether a believer or a non-believer, we continue that uh, sense of being on our own. I just engage when I want to engage. I withhold when I want to withhold. I want to give when I want to give. I want to take when I want to take. I want to mingle when I want to mingle, when I feel up to it. I don't want to mingle when I don't want to mingle. And it becomes a, a, a very freeing, seemingly a very freeing way of living. The second thing may be fears. Uh, we all have fears of being misunderstood or being rejected or being betrayed. Uh, you know, the reality is every time we are in a deepening relationship, we risk something. Uh, we risk being, uh, you know, on the outside. We risk being, uh, you know, hard done by. We risk being sharing something uh, and, and someone else hears about it that, that implicates our relationship and so on. Uh, we have some deep-seated fears based on our background, based on our past experiences. But also, uh, sometimes it's frustrating to engage with people of different personalities and different value systems and different preferences. So uh, it's like, why should I bother? Uh, this is going to be costly. Uh, so I'm, I'm just going to ignore it. I've had a bad experience uh, with people in the past. I, I just don't, don't want to engage anymore. Uh, the, you know, this engaging with people on a deeper level can be so demanding and so frustrating. I, I'm, I'm just going to ignore it. And the reality, all of us will probably agree that superficial is super easy. Superficial is super easy. The, the, the reality for all of us, uh, we know that unity is costly. Uh, it, it, we, nobody would ever say that unity, um, you know, it's so awesome all the time. It's so exhilarating all the time. Uh, once you make the decision to deepen your unity with other believers, it's going to be heaven on earth. That is, quite frankly, a lie. It's a lie because it undermines uh, the reality of our earthly journey. It undermines the sinful nature that we've inherited from Adam. It, it undermines the experiences that you and I have had throughout our lives. So uh, unity is not easy, uh, but what I believe we get to understand uh, in more depth uh, as, we, as we walk in it, that it may be worth it. And, uh, and it, it is a sign uh, of a blessed life that we live in unity and in harmony and in, uh, in genuine interaction. I, I don't mean by harmony that we never disagree with one another. That's, that's, a, that's a, a ridiculous illusion. Uh, but I mean that uh, we still have a sense of care and support for one another. Those people who are mingling with others in unity, as we will see, they are living a blessed life already. But it's also, it's a, it's a, it's a condition uh, for a blessed life, as we will see in this uh, psalm that was written by David, 
Psalm 133, some commentators suggest that this psalm was written at the start of David's reign in Jerusalem. Uh, you know, he inherited a divided kingdom. He had reigned in Hebron for seven and a half years, and now he's come to Jerusalem, but he's confronted with the reality uh, that, that, that there's a divided nation. And here we see his heart uh, that declares that unity is special and precious and pleasant. And life of unity is a blessing in itself. And then he mentions to them that those people who experience God's blessing are people who experience unity. Let's have a, a quick look at what David is sharing in Psalm 133. And he begins by this. He says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Immediately we notice that David is saying a blessed life is a life where it, there, there is unity uh, amongst God's people. Uh, you know, it says good and pleasant. It's a good thing, but it's not just good. Like it's not just the right thing to do or, 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 or the, you know, the expected thing to do. He's saying it's actually a pleasant, you know, you consider a pleasant meal. All of us have meals because it's the right thing to do, to have a meal. It's good practice to eat and eat healthy. But deep inside each of us, and certainly in our own family with our children, there are some meals they consider pleasant and lovely and, and, and delicious and others they don't really, they just eat it because they it's the right thing to do. Uh, I love the fact here that in a very simple way, um, uh, David is saying, this is a beautiful thing. Uh, you know, how beautiful, how lovely how special that God's people uh, are pursuing and living in unity. Uh, in other translation, maybe in your translation, you will hear when the brethren live together in unity. Uh, that the first thing that we need to know uh, about unity is that it's possible because we're God's family. You see, um, brethren uh, is, is another uh, word, is another symbolism of being the same family. We're brothers and sisters. It's saying how beautiful it is for uh, the brothers and the sisters to dwell together in unity. And we know that that's not always the case. You see, from the very beginning, Cain and Abel didn't have a pleasant, united relationship together. We see that throughout the scripture uh, where brothers didn't dwell together in harmony or unity. But, but, but David is saying, and even David's own family uh, bore the scars of fracture and division and, uh, 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 and lack of unity. Uh, but... David is reflecting uh, something that you probably agree with. Isn't it beautiful when there is unity in a family? Isn't it beautiful when there is unity in a team? Isn't it beautiful when there is unity with people in your, uh, in your neighborhood that it's, it's like so nice to be together in, uh, you know, without eating at each other and devouring one another and, and, and hiding on each other? And then he goes on and says, it is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. 
and few things uh, uh, will be illuminating as we focus on it. Uh, obviously, like a precious oil poured on the head and running down on the bit of Aaron, you see, Aaron was the high priest and it's uh, his re representative of the priestly order. In fact, uh, in, in the Old Testament, when oil was poured on the high priest, oil was poured on kings and oil was poured on the, uh, on the prophets. It was a sign of God's anointing. It's a sign of God's choice and empowerment of specific individuals. And, 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 and obviously oil represents the Holy Spirit and unity here is spoken of of unity of the Spirit as Paul uh, declares in Ephesians in the New Testament. So he's saying, yeah, can you believe the anointing of the Holy Spirit uh, that takes place in a united environment? It's like the, the Holy Spirit is being poured and anointing the whole body. It falls from the head to the face and to the collar. And, and it's uh, significant that he's talking about the high priest here, Aaron. Why? Because uh, every high priest had on, on their breastplate uh, 12 precious stones. Those precious stones were basically a representation of the tribe of Israel. So, so, so what David is saying, as, as the oil falls, it falls on the whole people of God, unites them with the same spirit, with the same anointing. There is no division. There is no, it, 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 they all saturated by the spirit that brings them Together, he's saying it's, it's like running down. It's like saturating them. It comes from above and, 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 and it goes down. That's what happens in the unity. And he keeps going and saying it's, it's, uh, it is as if the Jew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. It is as if the Jew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Zion. You see, here is another analogy. You spoke of the uh, anointing oil that falls on the high priest. Here is, is uh, diverting to the Jew. Uh, you know, Jew is, 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 is so uh, subtle. It's silent. You know, you, you wake up in the morning and you see Jew on the grass. It's so tender. It doesn't, uh, it's not like uh, thunder and rain where you can feel it and hear it. It's just so subtle. And, and that's what unity is. Um, uh, many commentators speak about the Jew symbolizing the Word of God, uh, where it refreshes the grass and brings about fruitfulness. So uh, unity is like the anointing of the Spirit that unites God's people in love, but it's also like the Jew uh, that, 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 that sits on the mountain that brings about fruitfulness. It, it, it's a condition for fruitfulness when there is uh, unity. Uh, and, 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 you, and you know, you, you see here it's saying uh, Hermon, Mount Hermon and Mount Zion, they actually separated. I think uh, I read it was separated by 200 miles apart. So uh, unity here on Mount Hermon that was 10,000 feet high uh, in the north and Mount Zion was, was not such a, a big mountain. It's saying regardless of where the mountains are, 
regardless of the potential, uh, uh, you know, whatever separation that's taking place and diversity and, and whatever might be going on, uh, that the unity rests uh, in, equal, in equal measure on God's people. Because what? Because it comes from above. It's authored by God Almighty. And then he says, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. For there, there where? Uh, there in a place of unity, God commands the blessing. And, and, and other translation, the first translation I've ever memorized, it says, for there the Lord commands his blessing. The same thing that we read about in, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, that in a place of unity, that's where God commands the blessing. In other words, unity is a condition for a blessed life because that's where God is going to command His blessing. The idea of unity can, can, can be perceived in a variety of different ways. Uh, unity can be conceptualized as the lowest common denominator. So you've got people say, we've got, we've got unity. Uh, why is that unity? It's because we believe the same thing. Uh, we've got the major tenets of the faith, uh, you know. So, so we're united in that way. Maybe we don't interact at all. Maybe we sit in the same worship auditorium. Maybe, maybe even we're not in the same geographical uh, area, but, but, but overall we're united at the lowest common denominator of uh, maybe theological persuasion and conviction. And that's one way people consider um, uh, unity. It's very vague. It's, uh, it's a little bit non-relational. Uh, it's extremely cognitive. Uh, but there is some sort of a unity that's uh, apprehended in this particular view. And then you've got the other extreme of unity that some, um, uh, you know, groups or denominations or sometimes it ends being sects uh, where unity is uh, over, uh, over enmeshed. They, they like everybody is in everybody's business. Like you can't make a decision unless you have taken the advice of everybody in that group. You, 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 you know, it's it's almost a, you you you're um, not just interdependent, but you codependent, where it almost takes away the individuality for the sake of uniformity, not for the sake of unity. It becomes uniformity, and it becomes a cookie uh, template, you know, one style fits all. It becomes overly dependent where there is not um, diversity of, of opinions and, and, and choices. And it's like, no, you have to do this because it makes me feel better and, and, and so on. But the reality is both extremes are unhealthy. There's people who are not united in a relational environment who are just connected cognitively. And those people who are overly reliant on each other ends up missing out on God's distinctive calling over their lives and, uh, and, and healthy uh, emotional interactions. But then there is a balance. Uh, 
There is a balance of unity uh, that, that maintains the one and the many, maintains the member and the body, maintains uh, uh, the, the, the ability to engage with others independently without being codependent in an unhealthy um, uh, way. It's, it's, it's not being distant but it's not being overwhelmed. It's, it's being healthy in our experience on, and our interaction with one another. So I want to suggest to you a three simple steps that can be helpful in deepening our unity in a healthy way. The first step um, that I, oh, I've, I forgot to share this one, which I think is, is really helpful comment to make. The idea of oil and dew which is basically the, the metaphors that the psalmist use, declare that unity comes from above. It's so critical for us to know that we don't manufacture unity, we maintain it. You see, the scripture tells us that we maintain uh, or guard the unity, but it's authored by God. So uh, ultimately, we need to come to God and say, please unite our hearts together. You see, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace is what Paul uh, teaches the church in, in Ephesians chapter 4. It's here, keep the unity of the Spirit. The Spirit provides the unity. The Spirit lavishes unity. The Spirit pours out interdependency. But our job is to maintain it, is to keep it, is to play our part, is to make every effort that we can, is we need to collaborate and participate with the Spirit to make it possible. So here are the steps that I uh, um, you know, initially intended to share. Number one, vulnerability based on trust. Vulnerability based on trust. The first thing I want to share being a distant group of people just because we embrace the same tenets doesn't make us necessarily united in a healthy, in a healthy way. You know, Jesus talks about uh, his friends in John chapter 15 that, that, that he calls them friends, which is basically the confidants of a king. They have mutual trust um, and, and mutual transparency that comes out of, you know, genuine, open, vulnerable communication. So if we want to have that type of healthy interactions, we need to share vulnerably, but we need to establish trust that enables this vulnerability to, to, to be uh, appropriately uh, uh, implemented because you and I know, and maybe that's some of the times where we experience fear, where we shared openly in environments that didn't have trust. So um, by being vulnerable, we don't mean that you go to every Tom, Dick and Harry and share your deep, dark secrets. That's, that's not helpful. It's a gradual process of uh, learning to trust a specific uh, group of people in your life uh, who over time prove to be trustworthy as you gradually share transparently and vulnerably uh, you know, leads to the, to, to the experience of you being protected when you share 
your heart out. So we need to gradually, gradually learn how to discern uh, trusting environments and share vulnerably in those environments. The second thing, uh, you know, steps to enable unity is to support based on true care. And I don't, I, I, I wrote this idea based on uh, in true care because I've been part of Christian environments where people uh, do care out of obligation, do support, sorry, out of obligation instead of being out of care. Oh, I'm in the care team, so I'm, I'm just going to need to do that. Uh, uh, you know, you, you're in a tough time. I just need to give you a parcel. It becomes still a task-oriented support, but, but true support comes from a heart that cares, cares for the well-being of the person, cares enough to, to share um you know, what the person needs, not necessarily what the person wants. It's support that is not there. And this is the point. It's not there so I could feel good about myself. You see, some of us are so desperate for people's applause and approval and liking that we do whatever we need to do, even if we don't, uh, even if it's um, uh, not representative of our hearts, we do it just because we want to gain their uh, you know, approval and, and, and we want to get on their bad book, uh, in their good books. But the reality is that's not necessarily genuine support. A genuine support stems out of a heart that would say, I will do this because I genuinely care about their needs. I don't just want to manipulate them in such a way to attract their approval by doing whatever they want. It's not patting people all the way to destruction. It's being supportive enough and caring enough to care for what, to the best of your capacity, would produce their well-being. The third step of deepening unity is to challenge, and that is based on truth in love. By challenge, I don't mean, uh, you know, we, 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 we develop um, sect-like communities where it's like harsh and brutal. I love um, one of the commentators, Warren Wisby, when he says that truth without love is brutality. And love without truth is hypocrisy. Isn't that beautifully um, articulated? It's both truth in love. They together, we say what's true, but we do it from a heart that genuinely, genuinely loves uh, the people that we're surrounded with. You know, only God can figure out our motivation because sometimes speaking the truth can be received as harsh. But, 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 but when God knows the motive and we speak it in a way, we share it in a way to the best of our capacity for the well-being of the person, that's good challenge. It's a challenge that will set people up for development, not necessarily uh, for, for set them up for failure. It's a caring, challenging, but nevertheless, it's challenging. It's not just always being supportive to the extent that the person doesn't grow. You know, I... I, I think this idea of challenge uh, based on truth in love is well represented when I teach my children how to drive. You see, uh, it would be really lovely if from the very first time that they drove the car as learners um, when they're 16 years of age, that they will do it perfectly. And at the end of the drive, I say, wow, you were awesome. You drove better than me. You know, and, and at times 
you need to encourage them. You did this really well. When you turned that corner, you were really careful of the cars next to you and the dimension of the cars and, and, and so forth. But you also might need to say, but hey, when you came to that traffic light and you sped, um, you know, you, you were nearly going to hit that car in front of you because they weren't ready to go. And it, it doesn't mean that I don't love them deeply, that I want their development by actually speaking the truth in love. Uh, so, so here is the balance that we need. And the reality is this, there are some signs of unity that we can easily distinguish. Our team in a recent discussion came up with a simple list bigger than that. I just chose some of them. When we rejoice and weep together, that really deepens our unity. When we're being selfless, when we care behind the scenes, even when a person doesn't know about it, maybe maybe we, we care in such a way that it doesn't promote us but it's genuine God can see that when there is generosity with our resources and with our time where we're showing the generosity because we're one and we love to bless one another not just take 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 and then there is prayer with and for each other because really I don't know who said it it must be just a general saying what says those who pray together stay together there is a definite supernatural thing that connects us together when we pray. These are simple signs that you probably vouch for in environments where you experience glimpses of unity. And I know that in my own uh, experiences of groups, uh, these signs are so uh, enriching in every interaction. I want to leave you with a question. If unity was possible, which according to Psalm 133, it may be. Uh, what would you be willing to pay for it? If unity was possible, what would you be willing to pay for it? What would you be willing to do to experience that unity uh, with other people? If unity was possible, what would you be willing to pay for it? I believe that a living in unity with God's family uh, given that uh, surge of unity from above and us maintain it uh, with simple practical steps would enable us to experience their God commanding the blessing as well as this is actually the blessed life to live united with God-loving, like-minded believers. And that's our prayer for you as you interact with uh, like-minded believers. Uh, next time, we're going to look at the third component, condition and indicator of a blessed life, and that is a disciplined lifestyle. Until then, be utterly blessed in Jesus. 